I think what I learned in that was like, I could, I can believe in me and have my own unique solidity, reality, whatever you want to call it. And I can hear my, in this case, it was my mother's story and have empathy for her without losing myself. And that was because I think our culture and our world is so divided into one must be right and one must be wrong. And, and that actually is the source of the pain. And for me, when I got, I can be right for me and have compassion, heart. I don't have to disbelieve her. We can talk about the impact our realities have on each other without having to make it any more than that. And that was, that was when I really got, oh, this is profound. This is what relationships are about. They're not about right, wrong. They're about this place of being able to each hold ourselves and have room for the other to be very different. That's Susan Clark, and I'm Brian Falchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome to another episode of the Do A Day podcast. This week, I have the other half of the amazing Thrive Inc. Beauty of Conflict couple. This week, it's Susan Clark. Past, I had partner Chris Marie Campbell on the show. And in talking to Chris Marie and learning about their work together, I discovered Susan's story and was just utterly blown away. And so I'm really excited to have Susan on this week to tell her half of what they do, but also her own personal journey, which is inclusive of not just a background of trauma, but also a cancer diagnosis or multiple cancer diagnoses, actually, that started at the early age of 24, when she was actually incredibly fit and healthy and active, just starting out her life as an adult. And you could see how the cancer was tied to her past, was tied to her future, and led her down a path that ultimately got her together with Chris Marie for them to work on helping couples, teams, organizations figure out how to make conflict work for them, how to get the best out of it, how to use it as a point of growth and do it effectively rather than having it rip you apart. Her story is incredibly powerful. Um, she's a great speaker, so you know she really is very skilled at telling it, but she's doing it from such a genuine, clear place, and I took so much from the story. And you guys know I have this little intro clip at the beginning. Sometimes I'll pull more than one from the interview. Sometimes I can splice different sections together to create a really compelling, inspiring thought that I think pulls out some of the real magic from the interview. I struggled so hard with this. I even turned to Susan and sent it to her and I was like, hey, these are the two I've gotten it down to because I had more than two. Um, which way should I go? And even as I record this intro, I'm still stuck. They're completely different clips. They're talking about different issues, one about her cancer journey, one about her work on relationships and why they're so important and why they mean so much to us, but also why we struggle with them and how to start to move them in the right direction. And I was like, ah, I really don't know which way to go because the cancer speaks to her journey, her struggle, her growth path, and the relationship speaks to the inspiration that she works on today. They're both incredibly powerful. So. Whatever it ended up being, it ended up being. You're going to get the whole story and all of the inspiration in this episode. So tune in, listen to this interview with Susan Clark. Uh, let's see why you like talking to an Olympian then. Listen to you. You know, I love, there was one point in your interview with her where you were like, what did it feel like to get the silver or something? And uh, she, you know, I loved, I mean, it, for her, it was a great response. She was like, I just felt like we won, you yeah. know, because and um, but I because I know so many times one of my biggest gripes about the U.S. and Nike is the you don't win silver, you lose gold. Right. I've always hated Ooh. that motto. Yeah. It's like this is not healthy. But, yeah. But I do get it. <laughs> so I hear you. I, I don't know if you if you uh, I'm sorry not to cut you off. Um, oh, that's okay. 
I'm just thinking about in the, I think it was the eighties, the Lithuanian basketball team. And they wore these tie dyed, like grateful dead. And they, they got bronze. I'm pretty sure they were bronze and they could not have been more ecstatic. And I felt like the whole world was cheering for them. This is I like know. when the U S had their first dream team. Yes. It's like, no one expects them to do anything. Yeah. And, and it was they, like, yeah, a bunch of white yeah. guys from Eastern Europe who are like, not, you know, not what anyone pictures when they picture basketball legends. I know. Good for I, them. I love those stories when, yeah. the, when they happen. So yeah. it's that's cool. where the inspiration is. Not the guys who are making millions of dollars, you know, right. uh, kind of yeah. genetic perfection basketball, <laughs> um, yes. which is not me, but that's okay. <laughs> That's true. I I was not an Olympian, but I played basketball both in high school and college. And I made my team because I basically told my coach, you need someone who can't jump, mm. doesn't want to shoot, but is just interested in making other people look good. And he later, he said, you're the only <laughs> person who's ever made my basketball team because of your lack of athletic brawness. But I did. So, That's awesome. You know. The honesty. Yes. Um, well, we certainly can talk about that. Um, no. <laughs> obviously, the uh, the journey with cancer and the afterward, and that that news about you have X days, month, what months to live, right? Right. And you have six months to live. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which you did. They just forgot about all the other months after that, right? They didn't. Yes. They didn't focus yeah. on the rest. Um, there's there's uh, an aspect to the guest that's very like pivotal moment kind of thing. Not just like I have this interesting approach or this leadership book or whatever. It's like it's got to come from something. Um, and so that's what I love, that sort of crucible moment in your story. But what I don't know is whether it feels that way to you and whether you were on a journey before or not. And that's I think that's part of the the neat stuff to bring out is like, well, yes, that was very, you know, inspirational or whatever. But actually, this is where the story really began. Well, you know, that's an interesting question because from a standpoint of the work I do with leaders and teams and in leadership, that moment was pivotal because uh, at that moment I had believed up until that point that I was a follower. I was just doing what my medical team wanted. And so, um, and that I was pretty darn good at that. Like, yeah. you tell me what to do, I'll do it. And when I sat down with my doctor after having been nine months into my treatments, thinking, I'm going to lick this thing. And she kind of looked at me and said, the treatments aren't working. Um, and frankly, we don't have anything else to try. I, um, and you probably have six months to live. It was like, I call that in my book, my, in the book we wrote that the business book, the oh shit moment, like, oh, yeah. I, I have no idea what to do now. Yeah. And, um, I remember walking out and, uh, picked up a flyer from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, life, death and transitions. And I'm not anything, you know, I'm not somebody who deals with death and dying, but I, I actually wrote her an email and said, I'm supposed to learn how to die. I don't know how to do that. And, you know, um, can you, can you help me with that? And oh. So, but that moment where I realized I've got to take the lead, there isn't anyone, you know, this is my, um, uh, there's no one who's going to tell me what to do here. There's no one that has an answer. Um, that was, that's why I call that the pivotal moment from a leadership perspective, because I did get, okay, I've got to step up and figure out how I'm going to handle this. Mm. Um, and it had, you know, at that point in my life, you know, there were a lot of other things that had also surfaced in, um, as I, well, kind of came from that, like, but it's all started happening at once in terms of my life was sort of because of the cancer, all sorts of other things had started to unfold about my history mm. that I didn't know. And no one in my family was telling me, uh, the truth about that. And it created, it just sort of erupted because I had this health issue, yeah. which was um, sort of shining a light on. I need to know some real information about myself. And my doctors were asking me questions I couldn't answer because wow. of. And that is probably the story that most people don't know about yeah. because it's not as uh, um, well, you know, I, I don't talk about it as much, yeah. you know, I don't, you know, but it was unearthing that and the conflict it created in my family and my community and, and the recognition that as I started to speak up and be more truthful, 
I started to get healthy, but I also started to create havoc in all of my relationships. And that is probably from a personal perspective, way more of the um, moment of truth in my life. Like, how am I going to deal with this? You know, so. um, So I usually, we usually do like a cold, like start and say your name and all that. And I don't want to, like, I don't want to break this. So we're just going to go with what we've got. And you're Susan Clark and hi, and welcome to the show. And now let's get back to the real conversation. Cause this was, that was too good. Um, we're on to something and, and I want to, I really want to get into this part that you're talking about, because I think for a lot of people, those moments, they're, they're forks in the road where we can start to unearth all the stuff that we've been dragging with us that we've never faced, or maybe right. didn't consciously realize we had to face or, or you know and, and I've worked with people who are like I'm not touching that but then you right. see how it continues to weigh them down mm-hmm. versus taking this whole catharsic cathartic kind of moment to really go through everything which is scary and a lot on top of what you're already facing with your health right um so like huge respect for facing everything do you, do you think it, any of it ties to like, well, if I only have six months anyway, so what do I have to lose? Was there some of that? Oh, I, there is no doubt in my mind that part of why I was willing to unearth and start to deal with uh, all of the back history was I had in my mind, I'm going to die in six months. So wow. I have nothing to lose. If I start to, even if people are upset with me, I, I um, well, I think I told you, I walked out of my medical doctor's office with the six months to live, and I went to this program with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who, um, I don't know if you know her, but at the time, she was a big, she was in personal growth and development, kind of a, um, she wrote the book, Death and Dying, Five Stages of Grief and Loss. I didn't know her because of any of that, but a lot of people in the world knew her, and um, she was, uh, she very rarely does she does these programs, which are mostly for healthcare people. So there, I went, she let me into her program and there were 92 people who there, 90 of which were healthcare providers who dealt with people with cancer and two of us that had cancer. So it was a little bit overwhelming. Was everyone turning to you guys either because they felt uncomfortable or like, so what does this mean? How do you feel about that? Right. And, and yes, but it was also this workshop where she really got you looking and diving into your stuff. And, Mm. um, so what happened was there was a point at which I guess I just was, uh, she came up to me and she took me aside. She goes, I want to, you know, I'm going to tell you something like you have, you and I were no different. Someone just gave you a date and now you're focused on dying. And I still am focused on living because I don't know a date. And you got to get over that. You got to stop focus on dying and focus on living. And you need to, you have stuff that you haven't unpacked and you're mm. afraid of it. So look mm. at it. And, How did you know, that hit just, you? Well, it was like, a, it was sort of stunning, you know, because yeah. she's this tiny little Swiss woman. And so it was sort of, you know, but she is, was like so intent. Yeah. And I really got it. Like, oh, I'm choosing to die. I had never, you know thought of it that way. And she yeah, but said, the, but the get over it. Like I could see a lot of yeah. people shutting down in the face of that. No. Yeah. For me, it was more of a, Oh, what, you know, it was like a wake up call. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you've ever watched the movie, the the kids movie, the lion King. Yeah. When the wise guy is talking, the, the wise monkey man yeah. is talking to Simba and he says, you know, Rafiki. you can learn how to do this. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he's goes, well, how? And he hits him with a two by four, you know, and his cane, his yeah, yeah. And then he goes and he, he goes, well, how is that supposed to help me? Somebody's like, how's that supposed to help me? And then he does it again and he ducks. Yeah. And <laughs> see? Yeah, yeah. And I, I sort of felt like she was giving me the two by four mm-hmm. and not that I ducked the next time, but I was like, I get it. Yeah. I have to take this. And, you know, my doctor gave me a two by four. You have six months yes. to live, yeah. you know. And each of them, I kind of found a way to, oh, I'm learning. This is, this is me that's got to do this. Now mm-hmm. it's me that has to go out. And she gave me the next step, which was really look at, look deeply at this and live fully. Yeah. And so it's not about the cancer. Yeah. You know, get, 
that's just a part of the that's just a part of the picture, but it's not the picture. So that was, you know, so each step, I think I took information and was like, okay, uh, what can I do with this? Yeah. So, can and you, I didn't have no, no, to lose. You, you no, didn't have well, anything to lose. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, even if I did think, even if my life becomes, you know, like a living hell, which it sort of already was becoming that because of all the medical, yeah. the information that I was uncovering, it was like, okay, you live with this for six months, at least, you know, yeah. don't just go all in. And it'll be over soon. I think I did have a bit of that. This yeah. will be over soon. But um, I also, um, uh, you know, was like, okay, uh, this. And it, actually, I I say later, like I had four different cancers. The first one was the most advanced, the one where I had six months to live. But it, I, the cancers cycled through for the next seven years. Wow. And I do think a lot of um, each step of the way, I could see. Wow, you you know you come this far, and then you're there's still this place where uh, it almost seems easier to die than to live. You know all sorts yeah. of things like, um, and so I I do think of it as like oh my my cancers actually were a huge part of the process for me in terms of how do I keep learning how I'm not fully engaging and connecting and living my life, not from a place of blaming myself. So, yeah. so many people think, you know, that I, that I created the cancer. It's not that, but it's like, okay, what is this here to teach me? Yeah. And why does this keep coming back to the surface? And, um, I think a lot of it was cause I was afraid of, uh, unearthing all this stuff and living more fully at the very edge of my of my aliveness, you yeah. know, kind of, so to speak, like, and that's what it taught me. <laughs> yeah. So did you, did you unearth everything in that first bout in the six months or was there more to follow? Oh, there was more, there was, there was more to follow. Like I started to, so the reason, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't always talk about this, but I'll, so the thing yeah, I don't that, want to push you. I mean, you share as yeah. much as you're comfortable with, but obviously I'm curious what, what, was going on under the surface? Well, the, the piece that came forward was uh, when I was younger, yeah. I had had, I had a lot of different scar tissue, various things that my medical team was getting presented with when I first showed up. Yeah. And they would ask me kind of classic questions mm -hmm. and I would not be able to answer them. Mm -hmm. So they became like, either you're lying to us or yeah. there's something else. And, and I became like, well, I, I don't know, I, yeah. you know? And so they sent me to a psychologist to a, yeah. to, you know, they're, they're like, there's something wrong with your head. This was before they actually diagnosed the cancer. This was, oh, wow. I came in, I came in, um, I had been, uh, I was a teacher. I loved teaching. I loved working with kids, but I was also a runner and I had started running like 10 miles in the morning, 10 miles in the evening. I was losing weight. And I hadn't really even gotten, I was really running to avoid yeah. kind of probably feeling anything. And yeah. uh, my doctors were like, you have a kind of a classic, must have a classic eating disorder. Things are not adding up. So yeah. they sent me to a psychologist. How you know, old were you at the time? 22. Right, so 20, yeah. Really young. Yes. Yeah. And I'm just getting like 23 probably by the time. The, the, yeah, because I had started teaching okay. after my first year of teaching, and I, I loved it. So in some respects, it seemed like things were good. But mm. I really liked my relationship with kids and and animals way more than adults. Mm. I was not exactly – I would kind of run my way by dealing with, with yeah. adults. Yeah. And I think what happened was my um, health started to deteriorate. And, I mean, to some degree, maybe it did have to do with an eating disorder, but – what happened was they got fixated on that because they're like, you've got all sorts of stuff going on in your body that you don't seem to even know about. Mm -hmm. And so I started, I got sent to a psychologist mm -hmm. who started asking me similar questions. And, um, I, you know, I didn't really know. And I started to kind of, I started to ask my family questions, which actually got them upset. Yeah. And then I found, you know, 
I started to realize, oh, there's some, then I started to remember some key things that had occurred. Hmm. And it really all involved a very charismatic person in our community that had done some pretty horrific things, not just, but no one had ever dealt with any of that. And, uh, but no one was going to either. Like as soon as it all started to come out, I started to get death threats, but my health was also deteriorating. So I was dealing with both a physiological problem and this psychological issue that I didn't know how to deal with. Where in the country is all this? It was happening back East in Virginia. So, um, and the interesting thing was not, you know, I was not uh, able to get any support in where I was. And, and, um, so I, uh, I ended up, well, my medical team finally said, you know, uh, they gave me the six months to live and I, um, well, no, the first thing that happened, I have to back up a little bit because when I first started to uncover all this medical, they hadn't even diagnosed me. Mm. And when I was working with all this chronic crisis stuff in my family, they sent me to the Mayo Clinic. Oh. in Rochester, New York, to uh, because they thought, well, she has an eating disorder. And I'd started to uncover some of this history. And yeah. so my therapist was like, this is going to help you. Mm-hmm. But when I got there, the medical team there, that was where there was a woman there who said, you know, the one thing we haven't looked at, you've always had sl- swollen glands. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone has actually really taken a hard look at whether this what else might be going on? And I think because I had started to be more out forthright and they had yeah. some answers, that's when they discovered the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Wow. But at that point, it was like, it's stage four now instead yeah. of, because they had not been looking for that. Yeah. So it was, that's when they started this very aggressive treatment that, um, you know, that I thought, they said, well, we'll send you back to your hometown. We're putting you on a new protocol. Nine mo- And that was the one where nine months into it, I sat down with my doctor and she yeah. said, it's not working. Yeah. But so there had been these, like on the one hand, you know, my life was falling apart because of health reasons. Yeah. But when I started to uncover some of the truth, they figured out the real health issue but it was pretty late in the process. Yeah. And I really did see these two things happening, kind of my world falling apart on the outside and also um, my health playing a big factor in. You gotta keep you gotta keep looking at this because it's the only thing that's given you any path through. So wow. um, you know, that was uh kind of a big piece. Uh and it was really scary. Like in my world, I um I didn't know how to talk about it. Because it was sort of like, what do you talk about? I mean, I felt a little crazy. Like, uh, well, I, I remember all these things. Now I feel like I'm talking about them, but no one wants to talk about them. I must be nuts. And every time that I'd start to think mm. I must be nuts, I'd start to have more physical issues. Mm. And so it really was like my body was releasing this, like, you got to deal with your life. Yeah. And if you don't deal with it, you're, you know, you're going to find a way out of it. Yeah. And you're, you're in a setting where dealing with it is not, it's not really all that possible or no one else will engage in that with you, making it that much harder, which is, and we're talking about your survival at this point. Yes. You know, I mean, I, at one point talked to someone in my family was like, you'd be better off dead. (laughs) That was actually another moment Mm. where I was like, wow, if that's what is really happening here, I need to leave altogether. And so, um, I did, I actually moved across the country. I had an opportunity to live in a whole different community up in Canada and started focusing on figuring out how to get my own, my health back. And I had, of course I was also getting medical. I was coming down to the States cause I was a U.S. citizen. So I had to be seen and and every time a cancer would come up, I'd be living back down in the States while I'd get treatments, which was crazy, but worked. <laughs> so the, you had been at that point, you had gotten through the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Right. So you, you were in remission then? And then you well, went to Canada or what? Well, I wasn't, you know, I, at the time, at that particular time and cancer 
in the cancer world. They don't call it a remission. Yeah. You don't go into remissions from non-Hodgkin's. You didn't okay. from non-Hodgkin's. Well, or they don't consider it cured. Yeah. I guess they would, you yeah, know. Yeah. And so they they didn't actually even believe, you know, they were like, we don't know how you turn this around. This is, so I, I yeah. just was like, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm getting I healthier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. And then I uh, got a the an uh, ovarian tumor, which was uh, ended up being... They had to remove my ovaries. I had to do a whole nine months of chemotherapy. Mm. But that was after I had moved out to the West Coast. Um, and then I had an optic nerve tumor. The last had a brainstem tumor, which they they never biopsied because it was not, that's not an easy one to biopsy. They just assumed it may have been related to the non-Hodgkins. They don't know. Yeah. And I got radiation treatment. And then the last was an optic nerve tumor which, uh, again, there's no clear whether it was a different strand or not, yeah. but they did radiation for that as well. And, um, that was in 19, I guess I got my first clean bill of health in 1989. So 82 to, so seven years later, eight years later. Yeah. And this whole time you're still going through discovery release. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Lots of, um, uh, various things. And at one point in my experience, I actually did work with authorities who were really trying to, they uh, were trying to create a case. They actually got me in touch with other people who were re talking or they thought they had a case against this person because they were a pretty prominent person. Mm. Um, but it all, that all fell apart. And, um, but at least it was the first time where I'd had any kind of, yeah. um, confirmation, uh, that anything I said, yeah. you know, I kind of thought I, I'm either crazy, but I'm healthy. So I'll just keep going down this path or, and I know what I believe and I know what I think happened, but yeah. I can't really force anyone to deal with this. And I remember when I was working with them, they said, no, you're, they actually, what they told me, they said, you're probably the most sane person we've had that could be a witness, yeah. but right now we don't have enough of a case and this would be not serve you to do yeah. it. Yeah. So, you know, um, I made a decision to kind of get on with my life. Like, yeah. and I broke off any correspondence with my family for probably almost 10 years before oh. I finally decided, um, I wanted to reconnect with them and I made a conscious choice to, okay. Uh, I'm an adult now. I'm not in any danger. And let's figure out you, my family, at least I wanted to reconnect with. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that was, that was a turning point for me because I thought I wanted to reconnect with them so they would finally believe me. And that had nothing to do with it. I actually, for the first time believed myself and was able to listen to the impact it had on them. Yeah. And it was very touching because I could actually, I didn't have to fight to be have them believe me. Yeah. I just I had some empathy for, oh, well, it must have been really hard. And so that was cool. That's that's a really powerful point, Susan. Um, <laughs> I, there's so much in your journey, but that's one that's strike me right now is we do fight to be heard, to be believed. And mm -hmm. it's like you said, I finally believed myself. Yeah. And th this is a theme that's been coming up a lot with several guests lately about trusting yourself with wellness journeys or illness journeys that, you know, no one could help them, no one could figure it out. And it wasn't until they came back to their belief in themselves and the trust mm -hmm. that their body actually knew what it needed and to listen to it instead of, you know, shunning it and, and seeking the answers elsewhere. This is a really powerful point that I think a lot of us struggle with is belief in yourself, self-love, self-pride, self-trust without, it doesn't mean egotism. No. There is a difference between the two. And maybe we try to downplay our own needs because we think that's a lack of humility or, or being egotistical, but it's not about that at all. And look how powerful it can be. Yeah. I mean, I would, you know, I, I think what I learned in that was like, I could, I can believe in me and have my own unique solidity, reality, whatever you want to call it. And I can hear my, in this case, it was my mother's story and have empathy for her without losing myself. And uh, that was, 
because I think our culture and our world is so divided into one must be right and one must be wrong. Yes. And, and that actually is the source of the pain. Yeah. And for me, when I got, I can be right for me yeah. and have compassion, heart. I don't have to disbelieve her. We can have a, we can talk about the impact our realities have on each other without having to, um, make it any more than that. And that was, that was when I really got, Oh, this is profound. This is what relationships are about. They're not about right, wrong. They're about this place of being able to each hold ourselves and have room for the other to be very different. You know, um, when it's so interesting is that people listening can't see this, but there's a flip chart behind you. And in the corner, oh. it's written, no right, no wrong. Oh. <laughs> and I keep yes, seeing that as we're talking. It's like, well, here we are. Yes. Um, I think that's really beautiful. When we do, I mean, that is what fighting with people so often is about is, you know, you did this. No, I didn't. You're wrong. You're not, you're not listening to me or you're misunderstanding it or you're wrong. And then, mm -hmm. and it's just a back and forth over one explaining and the other one being wrong in both of our heads, just flipping yes. the roles. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, really the unique opportunity is to be able to be me mm. and have you be who you are as fully as possible. Yeah. And we, even if we disagree, you yeah. know, but that, you know, we are not very good at that because that takes a lot of being able to tolerate uncertainty yeah. and that there isn't a right answer. Yeah. And, and we think it's so hard or so impossible and I'm sure there are people like, yeah, but you don't know the other person and they're like this. It's like, well, hang on a second. What you have described for the situation you were in with your health, with the backstory, with the pain of that trauma, mm -hmm. if you're able to do that, it should be a wake up call that yes, it may be hard, but it's not impossible. Yeah. And so spending your energy trying to justify the right and wrong approach, why not spend it trying to understand the way to believe yourself and find a way to have compassion or empathy for them so you can move forward without all this pain? Even if you don't talk to them again, you're still carrying that pain around. Yeah, exactly. That's I really yeah. did get that was like, oh, if I can not make them wrong, mm. I actually get myself back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um and and if I can have empathy for them, you know, then I actually can see the fullness of myself, which I think is kind of cool. It's not just it's not just me. Yeah. It's this whole big we're related, even if yeah. So so that was helpful. And I'm not going to say I do it. There are times we for for years after that, when I get together with my family, I have moments where something we we have a we have a thing. Time out. Don't go to the past because if we go to the past. They're going to be, yeah. It, and some days it's okay. And other days it's like, no, I don't have the, I don't have the strength in me to go to the past and fight about it. Yeah. So it's not like I don't ever get caught in it. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, like, right. Yeah. We're still human. Nobody's perfect, <laughs> yes, but, exactly. but you have an awareness of it now Yes. and an ability to, to manage it or to respond to it and create a path forward instead of being stuck. Yeah. It's like I, and it helps me in the work I do. Like I help people realize, you know, I often say it over there, it's leaders or in a couple, you either, ha you can either be right or you could be relational. You don't get to be both. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and there's a time and a place yeah. for both. It's a continuum. Sometimes a, a leader needs to make the so-called right choice. Yeah. But if, if they actually get caught in thinking they're right and they don't actually recognize the relational lens and the importance of that, yeah, I think they lose their own power and strength and ability to inspire and bring people along. So, you know, it's that it's a choice. Yeah. No, that's really well said. So to go from where you're now, like in your early thirties, is that right? When you're on the, the back of the cancer, the seven-year cancer, cancer, yes. um, living in Canada? Yes. <laughs> so how do you get from that to the work that you do today? Were you still teaching? Well, no. I had okay. left teaching, um, and I, I ended up coming to a place that uh, 
up at, uh, it was a center, a personal growth and development center called The Haven that's outside of Vancouver, Canada. And that's actually where I spent a lot of my years dealing with my health, going back mm-hmm. and forth. And um, they have their own unique training program for people. Like I, I actually was there sort of living, working, surviving. I was a cleaner. I did reception. I did whatever I could, mm. mostly um, under the table because I wasn't a Canadian citizen. So mm. I was sort of making, so I'm saying this cautiously, but, um, you know. Canadians are nice. They won't do anything yeah, about yeah. it. Um, but along the way, the, the one of the founders there said, you know, they did group work. Like they were two medical doctors who started group work because yeah. they said, People actually got healthier in our waiting rooms than they ever did in our office. Whoa. So they really <laughs> believed that relationships were the key to good health. And so they had designed some um, uh, some programs around how to do group process to support people in all from professionally to health issues. And that's how I had initially gotten to meet them was when I was dealing with my cancer, I did a program called come alive and it turned my life around. Mm. And as I was there, they said, you know, you should become a come alive leader. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, I'm, my life is too much of a wreck to do that. But slowly and surely I really did get, you know, I mean, I remember Ben saying, you've got more to draw upon than anyone we know. We, we didn't even know this stuff worked until, you know, we told you to do it, but we didn't really think it would have that much of a profound. We just thought you'd live a little better, but you have lived way longer than anyone ever thought you could. So you, you know, you, you should do this. And so I started my own training program with like to become an intern, a assistant and a leader. And that's where I was like, Oh, I really like working with people in relationships. Mm. So because I was also from the States, I went and got a marriage and family therapist degree. I thought, I want other families to yeah. do this work even with their own family, even if it's messy. Yeah. I wanna, but I, I didn't really, I'm not as good as a therapist. Like friends of mine said, you're not as good as a therapist because you're kind of, you're a kick-ass therapist. You're not for any, not everyone can tolerate you. So yeah. I, uh, you know, I love doing group work and I love working with couples, but I, I got, I, got connected to Chris Marie and really loved working in the business world because it was kind of like you could be really straight with yeah. these people and say, look, you know, it's not about the money. You need to get get back on the right track here. Yeah. And um, and yes, you're going to get to good results, but if you're not relational in it, you're not. So I really liked that line of work. So that's yeah. what I started to build my world around. Yeah. And you know? I mean, you can't, I I would say like people hear the word relationship and they think that it's only the romantic side or you hear, you know, um, whatever, different, different keywords that have a a framing for the context. But the reality is when you're talking about how we relate to people, it's universal. So if you're helping people in the corporate setting, it's going to spill over into how they relate to people in other settings as well and vice versa. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think was actually listening to you talk about your new book and I love the way you positioned it because you actually were saying, you know, the do your first one, do a day, you really got that, Hey, that supports the person in fulfilling it. And then it becomes exponentially different as you begin to impact relationships. And I, I, I agree with that. You know, it's like, if, you know, I do think being a, strong resource for yourself and knowing yourself is critical. Yeah. Um, and then that idea of how do I now expand that into other relationships is what that will be what makes for change. Yeah. I think, you know, so. When you talk about knowing yourself, I want to go back to the cancer journey and the, the backstory that came out in the process. Did you ever come back to these moments where you felt like you didn't know yourself because there were these things about you that had been blocked. That's one of the two things I want to dig into, but let me let you speak to that. Well, okay. Well, here's the other thing that was happening for me when, um, uh, so I would have this dream and I can remember having this for a while where I would be, or it was almost like a waking dream, not even, I would go to my own funeral because at the time they were telling me I might be dying. And these people would show up from different parts of my life over the years, college, you know, all the different things I had done. 
and they would show up and then they would start talking to each other and they'd be like, well, I don't, I don't know her. Um, so, and before the, you know, the funeral even started, everyone would have left because they were like, well, that's not who, mm. no, I didn't know her. And I'd wake up out of this dream, like, you know, yeah. um, and so, you know, I think on some level and I, you know, I mean, I kind of knew this as I went through, like when I was in elementary school and I mean, in high school, I was the only white person in my all black high school. Okay. So, and I played basketball and I was kind of a weird egg. Like I wouldn't say I was the most, you know, I was kind of, I guess, different and but my friends, you know, I'd kind of acquired my role as an athlete. I was a really good tennis player and I was an average basketball player, but I, I was the one who could pass the ball. So, yeah. um, and, uh, they, you know, whenever they'd make fun of me about something I did, I just would always say, that's what all white people do, you know, cause I could kind of get by with it yeah. and they'd be like, yeah, okay. So they'd accept it, you know, but it was a way that I made myself whatever kinks or weirdness I had, I, or if I couldn't explain something, I'd just say, well, that's how white people do it. Yeah. Excuse I mean, it away. Probably, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then when I went to college, I, you know, it was a whole different thing. You yeah. know, it was like, I was all of a sudden in the majority and, yeah. uh, and I, um, but I was an athlete and most of the women who were in my athletic world, yeah, we're probably we're lesbians. I mean, yeah. There was a lot more of that than yeah. there was. And I lived with these five guys in a house. Okay. And I just, they, the guys all thought that I was just one of the lesbian women who played sports. Yeah. And the lesbian women just figured I was with these guys. And so no one ever asked me questions yeah. about my, my, who I was, you know, like in terms of whether I had intimate relationships or close friendships. I just sort of did my thing, yeah. kind of. And any questions that were asked, I always had a way to mm. excuse. Now it's just what white people do. Yeah. yeah. Or you know, or the equivalent. Now, yeah, yeah. 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 So I um, and I at the time it was just the path I had learned to do. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't until everything got unearthed, you know, that yeah. I was like, oh, I I really have been kind of totally avoiding any intimacy or relationship mm. with people or with myself yeah. for a very long time, you know, and, yeah. um, uh, probably since I was a little kid and kind of, it got that all that stuff happened yeah. and I didn't know how to deal with it then, you know, I mean, I was dyslexic. I had all sorts of issues that kept me off of the grid of normal. Yeah. And, um, but if I, you know, I think back to it, I think, well, I was probably just trying to cope with this chaos. And, yeah. you know, um, yeah. Uh, and I found ways to do it. I, you know, um, so having said that, yes, I did definitely feel like, was I, what, you know, who am I? Yeah. Who am I? Yeah. <laughs> but I also, I've always had a part of me that was like, I don't really know for sure who I am, but I have a unique resilient gene yeah. <laughs> that found a way to be in really difficult situations and, you know, find a path through. Yeah. So I at least gave, I think that helped me to yeah. feel like I'm not, a, I'm not a fraud. I'm just a, um, uh, I haven't actually known who I am. So until I got some information that helped me figure out here's, yeah. here's something I can believe in. Here's something that makes sense. Even if nobody else believed it, then I could kind of anchor in like, okay, now I know mm. where to go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So not, not necessarily knowing who you are, but having self-love at the same time. Yeah. 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 Know. And uh, yeah. And I, my, the person I mentioned before, Ben, the guy who was kind of my mentor, he used to say to me, you know, most people have their belief systems rattled at some point and yes. that's when they decide to figure out who they are. You've basically had every aspect of who you believe you were shaken to the core. You have nothing to believe. So that's, you know, that's a unique position to be in. Mm. Now, it's also, you know, I'm not saying it's a good one, but if you can, most of us, we have, we have beliefs and that's what pulls us together. But the, that can also cause us to be too rigid or too tight. Yeah. You don't get to have you know, your beliefs. So now you have to figure out how to kind of keep restructuring, keep rebuilding. And that's actually worth 
you know, that's something that's exciting because now you you begin to realize that beliefs are simply something unique, yeah. not the end of the world. They're not the, they're not really. They're not absolute. They're not absolute. There yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. Um, yeah. I this debate in college with a kid about, he was saying there's a, a law of physics and it's a law, so there's no debating it. And I was kind of like, whether it's true or not, right or wrong, it was a philosophy class, so we had to, it was a perfectly yeah. normal yeah. thing to start debating, I guess. Yeah. But it was like, who said it was a law? And, you know, it's science. So we learn and we grow, and just because it's called a law, that's why you're saying there's no, you can, you're not allowed to discuss it. Like, right. that just seems, I don't know, I always go back to a science, it's like, and the sun revolves around the earth, which is flat, and we use leeches to treat everything. And it's like, maybe those weren't laws per se, but they certainly were the established truth. Yeah. And they're absolute. And anyone who says otherwise is a heretic. And, it's just, and now look. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now we know that the earth is a cube and right. <laughs> Mars revolves around us. And, um, yes. Okay, so that... The knowing yourself was one of the two things that I was struck by that I wanted to come back to. The other was, um, so I'm reminded of a really early episode of the show where um, I had someone on who went through a cancer, um, you know, cancer process, and she said something that has stuck with me so profoundly, and it's this notion that um, she couldn't, she felt like she couldn't trust her own body, oh. that her body had turned against her. And I, I add to that, just to help make you feel great right now, I'm sorry, uh, to, I add to that my wife's point in her health journey where she had all these symptoms uh, that ballooned out of control and then it looked like was going to take her life. And anytime she has one of those symptoms now, that fight or flight protect you kind of response tells her, this is it, you're dying again. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well it's very easy to dismiss that. And it's very easy to say, well, hang on a second. Is this just a random, like, look, lots of things were wrong then. So it's not abnormal that, you know, you have this headache or whatever, or is it right to think there's something more to pay attention to? And the fact that you had four of those moments mm -hmm. and the first one was the one that was the most severe. What was it like getting each one of those additional, like we found another one? Oh, it, very much exactly what you're saying. Like, uh, wait a minute, my, I must not be, there's something wrong here. I'm yeah. not doing this right. My body's failing me. I can't trust this. I yeah. can't. Yeah. Um, even like that, you know, this was a long time ago, but yeah. even now if, when I go to a medical, I, I it's like, I can feel all those same, you know, um, yeah. I go through that same fear yeah. and I have to really work with myself to one, trust my body, which mm. is an interesting thing. Like I, it's Chris Marie, when I first met her was like, why don't you do more work with cancer? People who are dealing with cancer, you have such a powerful example of how they could work with it. And two things were true. One, I think I had survivor's guilt. Yeah. Like, I don't want to. And, and the second thing was, you know, I don't want people to think me telling them they should trust their body or trust this is me telling them it's a cure because yeah. I, this is not, or that they're somehow responsible. And, um, and cause that was always, that was the fine line I had to learn. Yeah. Like my body is actually just giving me information. It's a relationship. And sometimes my body is giving me information that can scare me. But if I don't, if I don't view it, if I don't go into the fear, but just like, Hey, this is a, this is a dialogue. What are you talking, you know, what are you, what are you trying to communicate with me? Um, and I'm in that open place, curious and interested. Yeah. I generally, it's a whole different thing. And my, I can trust my body. My yeah. body gives me great information. As long as I don't get caught in, uh, it's the same way as what I was talking about before. If I don't get caught in the right wrong of it or yeah. this or that, but just stay curious and like, huh, this is just a means of communication. Yeah. And can I listen? Can I be open? And can I have a dialogue with my body and not just make it wrong, yeah. but stay connected um, in the broader sense of that? Then I think it's a pretty powerful place. 
Yeah. You know, it's like, um, I think nature teaches, I work with horses now and horses are the ultimate in, um, helping us come back to our bodies. Like one bit about horses is they, they've been domesticated. All sorts of things can happen to horses, but they are the fastest animal to return to a feral state, hmm. meaning that whatever happens to them, they come back to their natural connecting point faster than any, any. And I found that fascinating. Like, Oh, no wonder they're so good with trauma, people yeah. with autism. Yeah. They actually have a means to connect. And so I I actually haven't done much with this yet, but I've actually started working with people with women with cancer and horses because yeah. so many of the women I have talked to talk about that very thing. I don't trust my body. And a yeah. horse is an incredibly com compassionate way to develop a sense of trusting your body again. Yeah. And um, so it's interesting you said that because it's I've been shy about putting that out in the world because yeah. I like I don't want anyone thinking. Sure. But it is I love the work and yeah. it's something I'm very excited about. So it is I never I never knew that about horses and I knew about they're they're used in a lot of um kind of support support and therapy. Mm -hmm. um, situations in a variety of spectrums, whether for yes. trauma or autism, as you say, or, or other, um, other uses as well. That's really interesting. Yeah. And there's different reasons like, yeah. you know, but one of them I think that is, that's so cool, particularly about when it comes to dealing someone who's dealt with stuff in their body and doesn't trust their body is horses, their whole way of living and staying safe in the world is to trust their body because they mm. are they are the ultimate in prey animals and they are constantly using that information to figure out am i safe am i not safe what yeah. do i need to do? and so they mirror that back to us incredibly well if we're listening and so it's kind of it's been neat to take some uh, different people out and see them get with the horse all that i mean i've had such profound experience where someone said, it's the first time where I actually felt my body in all of its pain and all of its agony, but it was such a profound sense of connection. Yeah. And they were standing next to the horse. And up until then, they had never been able to let themselves feel that because, you you know, it's not that easy to feel the the vulnerabilities of your body. Yeah. You know? um, so anyway, it's, uh, that's it's really interesting. And now I'm all curious about like mirror neurons and oh yeah, <laughs> oh that's really all right. Well, you have to keep me posted on this one. Okay, that's really I will. interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, they're incredible creatures. Riding a horse is, or just I mean, even just putting your hand on the side of oh, one, yeah. there's it's, a feeling that comes from that. It, it's yeah. very true, and I mean. We use it with our executive clients because people who are leaders often think they communicate really well. Mm. But if you put a, a leader in with a horse with no, you know, we're not, we're talking horse at liberty. They don't have any reins or anything like that. You really do have to learn pretty quickly whether you're a good communicator or not. Yeah. And you can't just push a 1600 pound animal. It's not yeah. going to work. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's actually kind of, uh, it's an exciting way for someone like that to get real-time feedback because most leaders don't get real feedback from people you know yeah. they're afraid of the boss or whatever but mm -hmm. a horse is pretty straight if you're not really and what they want is someone who's embodied somebody mm. who's not just in their head saying the right thing yeah. but actually in their body present that's when a horse will relax and trust yeah. trust you to lead they're not going to trust you because you're stronger because you know, they're only going to trust you if you're clear. Yeah. So it's a great feedback mechanism uh, on a number of levels. That's really interesting. <laughs> um, Susan, we never got into what you do today, which is usually what I open with. So I think we're going to end up coming close to closing with that. Um, okay. But yeah, so where, do, where does all this take you then? Well, um, so today I work with my life and work partner, Chris Marie Campbell, who so has on also been on your show. Yeah. Yes. I think episode uh, seven, no, uh, 75 maybe. Yeah. I think so. Okay. Something like that. And she and I, uh, have been working, work and life partners for over 20 years. And we work with business leaders and teams to help them get more real and deal with conflict more effectively. And we also designed and work with couples in a couples program, both up at 
the Haven as well as a program here in Montana. And we've written our two books, The Beauty of Conflict, because we are we 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 recognize the beauty of conflict in our relationship, but yeah. also as a potential means for creativity, transformation, and living well together, in my yeah. opinion, is, uh, and so that's, we're excited about that and live in Montana, which is a beautiful place. If I, if I didn't live here, I'd be back on the Island in Canada. Cause they're just beautiful. I like open spaces, places yeah. where you have, have room to breathe. So oh, I get that. It's interesting <laughs> for me, having talked to both of you fairly close together, a couple months apart, um, several weeks, whatever. Um, I see, I see strong similarities, but I also see very different independent personalities. Um, and so mm -hmm. it's kind of like, obviously, and there's so much I don't know. <laughs> yes, um, but you, you did. Yeah. But, but like I, I, like, I get it at the same time, but recognizing that seeing the differences and the points of conflict as a way to grow together and mm -hmm. how you, how you navigate that can either be the end or the strengthening. Um, yes. That's, that's, you got to be really enriching to the work that you guys do. So I can it, imagine it's, yeah, um, strong firsthand experience with that. Not that either of you is a bad person or difficult or anything like that, but you're just different styles and, oh, but it complements. It comes up a lot. Yes, yeah. it does. As long as I think the key is if I, because even though we're different, I respect that she has a different perspective. Yeah. When I'm out of sync with that, yeah. You know, like, if, and it really boils down to if it all boils down to if I'm actually comfortable inside myself, Yeah, I am really tolerant of somebody else's differences and they become complimentary and yeah. great things happen. And I like to project my blame on her, but nine times out of 10, when I'm blaming her, it's yeah. because I'm not comfortable in myself. Yeah. And so if I can come back home and figure that one out then all our differences just are great for creating for creativity yeah and so that's probably that's true for most people when they're blaming <laughs> others is like if you're comfortable in yourself you wouldn't have reacted that way to begin with yeah um, i always say you know when somebody's uh, blame or resentment are the two things to me that lead most to where are you not taking care of yourself yeah. and where do you need to look inwards and figure out what's really going on because yeah. you're not really about the other person yeah. you know um, well, you haven't just gotten me to reflect on some things I may have or may not have done recently. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's really valuable stuff. And it, it just comes right back to that same point. No right, no wrong. Um, you can be right or you can be relational. Yeah. 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 It's a choice. Yeah. yeah. You know? oh, and funny. it helps to know it's a choice, you yeah. know. And I do think the key, most people think of choices and they think of, okay, there's one I should make and one I shouldn't. Mm. And I really have become a big believer. That's not true. Re it's like, I'm, I call myself a highly reactive person <laughs> and, but, and I don't think of that as necessarily bad. If I am curious about my reactivity yeah. and not necessarily blaming yeah. in my reaction, so if I can get to curiosity, then it's just a spark for, oh, there's something new here. So yeah, reaction doesn't have to be bad. There's no. a presumption that it means, oh, well, that she's reacting poorly. No, it's like everything we do in response to something else is a reaction. It doesn't mean it's a bad reaction. Right. And, you know, for me, the key is curiosity. Yeah. Can I be curious? And that, that was actually my big takeaway from my cancers was, can, can I be curious about the cancer? That was actually what I think Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was saying to me. Don't don't make this about living or dying with cancer. Make it about being curious about cancer and using it to live your life fully. And that was uh, fundamentally a turning point. Mm. And so I take that when anything, it's not, it's not always my first choice because I do tend to react. But, yeah. but when I get to how can I be curious about this instead of um, just staying stuck, mm. that's that. That's when it makes a difference. So. I, con I connected you guys with Dove Barron, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So his he always ends his show with "Stay curious, my friends. Stay curious." Yes, it's a great. Yeah. You know, I think it's uh, fundamentally the juice that uh, can transform us when yeah. we're. So. No, that's. I'm awesome. a believer. Good, <laughs> um, Susan. This is this has been fantastic, and I I'm glad I didn't stop us and make us restart the conversation because it was just, it was right, right off the bat.
Um, so thank you for being as open and flowing as you did. I definitely appreciated well, that. Well, you have a good a natural style to talk to, which I It's which my I like. bright orange shirt. There you go. You know, <laughs> I went to the University of Virginia, so I can oh, appreciate all right. the bright orange. No. I wore this on purpose. Maybe, yeah, maybe go. not. No. Um, where can where can people learn more about your work and follow what you're doing? Uh, well, the best way to follow is to go to our website, Thrive Inc. T H R I V E I N C dot com, or you can look up our books online, which is the Beauty of Conflict. Well, it's called Beauty of Conflict: Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage, or the Beauty of Conflict uh, for Couples. So, and we have a podcast, The Beauty of Conflict. So, yes, so you know, easy really to find. Yeah, easy to find. <laughs> yeah. And the good thing for me is I can just copy Chris Marie's show notes and change the there top part, but all the links are the same, so that'll work out nicely. That's true. Thank you for all that. Right. I, you guys built your business that way on purpose, just to <laughs> save me three seconds. I appreciate that. Um, Susan, thank you for joining me. Are you ready to help me close the show out? I sure am. All right. Today is a new day. So let's go out and get it done. Awesome. Thank you so much, Susan. All right. Thank you. How amazing was that discussion? Susan's incredible. I took so much from this one, and you know, just like I struggled with what to put in the intro clip, I struggle with what to think about to sum back up in the closing. There really was a lot. There are a few things that really stuck with me. And one of them was a little signal that I'm using for myself now from Susan about blaming someone else. What does that actually mean? It means I'm uncomfortable about something in me. So that, that was the first thing that really struck me as like, you know what? She's 100% right. Because otherwise, whatever that thing that I'm laying blame on them for and being so worked up about, it wouldn't get to me so much. There's got to be something going on inside of me. So I think that that is incredibly valuable just to give us that point to step back and grow from rather than go on the attack so we can have conflict but have it be healthy. The other thing is it's just this whole need to connect with our true nature. and. Um, you know, that, that's something, things you listen to what Susan went through in her health journey, finding that place of connecting with her true nature and the struggle she had where she had a opacity or, or, you know, a lack of visibility into some aspects of that because of these parts of her past that were hidden and that it was causing her conflict and standing in the way of her recovery. And when she started to face those things, get more clarity on it, they certainly were not easy things to face. Um, you know, uncovering them was incredibly painful and it allowed her to connect to herself even more. And that's clearly been something important to her in her whole life, which is, you know, which is pretty amazing. Um, the last thing for me is always this notion of whether people are you know upset and regretful for what they've had to experience and would change it all or you know have they taken so much from it they wouldn't turn things back and do it differently and i love this notion that the cancer for susan despite her life being in jeopardy was not actually about living or dying it was about the curiosity and learning from it so that is about seeing it as an opportunity like how can i grow from this regardless of what happens um, and look, this is someone who had multiple bouts of cancer in fairly severe ways. Um, you know, she got that end of life prognosis. So it's not like this was some light thing that, you know, she can say because she wasn't really tested. She, she's been through the fire to come to that place where it's like, you know, it's not life or death. Even if, you know, it, it is on paper, that's not the point of it. It's still about what you can grow from. Be curious about that unbelievably inspiring because we all face things that may be extremely serious or may just seem extremely serious to us and yet we can still grow and learn from them all right i'm gonna make sure to take in more of what susan and chris marie are putting out because this is really valuable stuff you got all the ways to follow them see what they're about grab hold of the beauty of conflict the books the podcast, um, you know, check them out on social media and their website, Thrive Inc. And if this kind of relationship stuff is resonating with you, in addition to the beauty of conflict, if you haven't done it already, pick up a copy of the 5075 100 solution 
there's even more to dig into. And of course, Susan and I kind of hit on these things in this interview. Take it one step further. You can get the book anywhere you buy books or just go to 5075100.com. It's the numbers 5075100.com. You can get a link to whatever place you want to pick it up. And you may have seen this. You may not have. I have a special for book clubs because a bunch of book clubs have been picking up my books. And so I wanted to do something special for these groups of people who are coming together to deepen their understanding and change their lives in a supported environment. So if you're in a book club and you're going to get 10 or more books, you can get them directly from me. Just go to brianfalchuk.com slash book club and you get all the details of this deal. 10% off if you get 10 or more books. I'll sign them all. That usually costs more. And I'll even do a one-hour video session with your book club, Q&A, ask me anything, whatever you want to call it. We'll get into the idea of the books. We can talk about questions people have. We can kick around scenarios you guys are working through. You can go deeper on some of the subjects. Really, whatever you want in that hour, I'm yours. So totally free for book clubs. Grab 10% off if you're picking up 10 or more books. I'll sign them and do that personal live video session with you guys so you can get deeper on the content. All right, let's leave it there. Have an amazing day. Remember, today is a new day. You and all those people around you can go out and do it.